Welcome to Music for Life, enhancing the Armstrong concert experience. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. In today's episode, we will explore the legendary leader of America's swing era, the most recognizable name from this style, Glenn Miller. We are discussing this as part of the lead-up to the world-famous Glenn Miller Orchestra's performance at Armstrong Auditorium, Thursday, May 10th. In his relatively short five years of fame, Glenn Miller recorded 23 number one hits, more than Elvis Presley or The Beatles. So hopefully that puts you in the mood to stick around and listen to the story of this remarkable musician and his remarkable career today on Music for Life. As our show's tagline states, we are helping to enhance the Armstrong experience, the concerts that take place at Armstrong Auditorium, this world-class performing arts venue and series. This season, we've been exploring the music to be performed on the various concerts throughout the season, and our season closes on Thursday, May 10th with the world-famous Glenn Miller Orchestra. I've been using these episodes to sell our listeners on the programs to be performed at these various concerts. Now, I don't think it takes much to sell Glenn Miller to most people, but maybe that's just personal bias talking. I was, after all, raised on Glenn Miller. My dad had me later in his life, and he was from that era. So we heard a lot of Glenn Miller, Tommy Dorsey, and other swing-era giants in our house growing up. Nonetheless, I think it will be beneficial to give a sketch of Glenn Miller's life and career, as I do think that will exponentially increase our appreciation of this music when it is performed here at Armstrong, no matter how much appeal it already has. Glenn Miller was born in Clorinda, Iowa on March 1, 1904. When he was 10, his dad gave him a mandolin. A short while later, Glenn switched to learning the trombone, The family moved around a few times until settling in Fort Morgan, Colorado in 1918. He didn't study very hard in high school, but turned out to be a natural at football when he tried out during his senior year. And the Colorado High School Sports Association recognized him as the best left end in Colorado. Around this time, Glenn Miller fell in love with dance band music, and he and his buddies formed their own band in high school. He played the trombone such an obsessive amount, often to the detriment of his other studies, that his mother worried about it greatly. She reflected later on, it got to where Pop and I used to wonder if he'd ever amount to anything. Case in point, he even skipped his graduation to travel to Wyoming and play a gig. Miller enrolled in the University of Colorado Boulder in 1923. After failing three of his five courses in his first year of college there, Miller dropped out to pursue what had been occupying his mind more than anything else, music. He quickly landed a spot in Ben Pollock's band in Los Angeles. While there, Miller roomed with a clarinetist from the band, Chicagoan Benny Goodman. Goodman was later dubbed the King of Swing. And actually, since both Miller and Goodman came through this band of Ben Pollock's, Ben Pollock became known as the Father of Swing. Next season at Armstrong Auditorium, we actually have a famous young clarinetist, Julian Bliss, touring with his jazz septet, and their program is titled A Tribute to Benny Goodman. 
Benny Goodman is probably best known for his recording of Sing, Sing, Sing. But let's hear a tune played by a 19-year-old Benny Goodman titled That's a Plenty. just heard a 19-year-old Benny Goodman playing That's a Plenty. And we're actually talking about Glenn Miller today in the lead-up to the world-famous Glenn Miller Orchestra's performance at Armstrong Auditorium on Thursday, May 10th. Today we're giving a biographical sketch of Glenn Miller, and we were just at the point in his life where he was in a Los Angeles band and rooming with Benny Goodman, the Chicago clarinetist who eventually became known as the King of Swing. In 1928, Glenn Miller moved to New York, trying to make it on his own as a trombonist and a ranger. That was also the year he got married. A little lady named Helen Berger had moved to New York to marry him, and they had met while at the University of Colorado. Now, in the early 1930s, Miller helped organize several big bands as he worked to find his place in the music industry. In 1932, he formed one of these and worked as the manager and arranger and trombonist for two years. He also helped the Dorsey brothers, Tommy and Jimmy, form their band in 1934. He also played for their orchestra, which featured vocalists like 
Johnny Mercer and Bing Crosby. The following year, 1935, Glenn Miller formed an orchestra for British bandleader Ray Noble. Also 1935 marked the year of Miller's first recording under his own name, Solo Hop, which made it to the top 10 hits of that year. Miller finally formed his own band in 1937, but it wasn't too successful, and Miller was forced to disband it in 1938. Around that time, Miller, rather discouraged, had asked Benny Goodman how he had made it in the music business. Goodman replied, I don't know, Glenn. You just stay with it. And Glenn Miller stuck with it. In 1939, he finally made it. A gig at the Glen Island Casino in New Rochelle, New York, was broadcast over the radio and gained Miller some sizable recognition. Not long after, his orchestra performed at Carnegie Hall. This new band soon became America's most popular dance band. Miller had toiled over combining the right instruments to get a unique, distinct sound for his orchestra, He once said that a band ought to have a sound all of its own. It ought to have a personality. Miller's band highlighted the clarinet and the saxophone sections and offered a velvety trombone accompaniment that really set it apart from other big bands on the market. It was like no other band of its time. Miller's instrumentation has become the standard now for dance bands around America since. Glenn Miller became known for being quite the perfectionist. He ran a very tight ship, you could say, with his band, making sure they upheld the highest standards in behavior, but even also making all of them wear maroon socks on one occasion. And of course, this also meant he was quite meticulous with the music. He would have the band rehearse each and every measure of a piece as many times as necessary to make sure the finished product was as perfect as possible. As with any other popular musician, Miller had his critics, particularly jazz enthusiasts who preferred more of an improvisatory sound rather than Miller's structured and rehearsed music, what you might recall from one of our previous episodes as being called sweet jazz. But structured and rehearsed was the way Miller preferred it. He preferred it sweet, and a lot of people couldn't get enough of it, as evidenced by all of his top hits. The first major hit of Glenn Miller and his orchestra was Wishing Will Make It So in 1939. Here is that recording. Dreamers tell us 
listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, we are exploring the legendary leader of America's swing era, Glenn Miller, in the lead-up to the Glenn Miller Orchestra's performance at Armstrong Auditorium Thursday, May 10th. We just heard the first major hit from Glenn Miller's orchestra from 1939 that was Wishing Will Make It So. Among 15 other top 10 hits from the Glenn Miller Orchestra that year were Tuxedo Junction and In the Mood, the latter being easily the most well-known Glenn Miller tune. These two songs made it into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1940. I will save In the Mood for later, but let's hear Tuxedo Junction.
Tuxedo Junction, a top 10 hit from 1939, among several others, from Glenn Miller and his orchestra. Another signature piece, also recorded in 1939, which became the signature piece for the band, was Moonlight Serenade. Let's hear that here.
That was Moonlight Serenade, the 1939 hit that became the signature piece for Glenn Miller and his orchestra. A couple of years later, Glenn Miller and his big band made it to the big screen. Take another look, Nifty, see if he's coming. In 1941, they performed in the movie Sun Valley Serenade. A classic scene from that film revolved around the band's performance of Chattanooga Choo Choo, an eight-minute scene complete with vocals, tap dancing, and, of course, great big band playing. Can't locate the guy. I don't know where he is. Stall for time. Okay. Chattanooga Choo Choo, run it down again. Let's go. One, two... Chattanooga Choo Choo eventually brought in such great revenue that the RCA Victor recording label awarded Glenn Miller and his orchestra with the first ever gold record. The same year that the orchestra was featured in this 1941 film, the orchestra also recorded three number one hits, Song of the Volga Boatmen, You and I, and Elmer's Tune. Let's hear Song of the Volga Boatmen. Thank you. 
That was Song of the Volga Boatman, a 1941 number one hit from Glenn Miller and his orchestra. As mentioned earlier, the band was being featured on the silver screen around this time. We already mentioned their appearance in Sun Valley Serenade. Glenn Miller and his orchestra were also featured in the 1942 film Orchestra Wives. In this movie, Glenn Miller's character is Gene Morrison, a name that was used so that his band could still use their GM monogrammed music stands. Are you sure about this tour, Jeannie? Positive. When I was in the hotel drugstore this morning, they were sending up six bottles of sleeping pills to Gene. You can't get it any straighter than that. You know the kind of insomnia he has on the road. Okay, boys, let's go to work. Oh, uh, Gene. How about a playback on that last record? Well, sure, Bill. That's a swell idea. Dave, do you mind playing that last one back? Okay, hit it. By the time this film was produced, America had joined World War II. Glenn Miller did his best to support the troops from home during this time. Besides radio broadcasts and benefit concerts, Miller supported the Summer Serenade program, a two-hour NBC broadcast which consisted of a one-hour dance program and a one-hour music program. The weekly broadcast had an ongoing contest that involved five army bases. Each would send in their favorite Glenn Miller orchestra piece. The orchestra would play each piece on the broadcast cast in front of a live audience, then the audience would vote for their favorite. The army base who chose the winning piece won a new radio phonograph player and 50 popular albums. Miller paid $1,000 a week to produce this broadcast. Glenn Miller's support of the war effort became more of a literal contribution. In 1942, he joined the U.S. Army. There, he led the Army Air Force Band. He was in his late 30s at this time and wouldn't have been required to enlist, but he simply wanted to play music for the soldiers in the midst of World War II. In a press statement, he said this, I sincerely feel that I owe a debt of gratitude to my country. The mere fact that I have had the privilege of exercising the rights to live and work as a free man puts me in the same position as every man in uniform, for it was the freedom and the democratic way of life we have that enabled me to make the strides in the right direction. Let's hear a song Glenn Miller recorded around this time. This is American Patrol, a swing version of the 1885 American March written by Frank White Meacham. And after that, we're going to hear another tune, Bugle Call Rag.
We just heard Bugle Call Rag, and just before that, the 1942 hit American Patrol. We've been discussing the life and musical career of Glenn Miller, and we were just talking about Glenn Miller's involvement in the armed forces, leading the Army Air Force Band. Until 1944, Glenn Miller led this band from the States, where its performances were broadcast for the troops. But in 1944, Miller and the Army Air Force Band traveled to England to be closer to the Western Front. In less than a year, the band performed around 800 times, about 500 of them being broadcast live. We didn't come here to set any fashions in music, Glenn Miller wrote from England to his former drummer, George T. Simon. We merely came to bring a much-needed touch of home to some lads who have been here a couple of years. One major general told Miller, Next to a letter from home, Captain Miller, your organization is the greatest morale builder in the European theater of operations. While there, Miller did enjoy having a great deal of artistic liberty during his wartime service. Under the authority of the U.S. federal government, he was able to assemble an orchestra with the best musicians around. Added to Miller's typical brass band was a large string section now that brought new possibilities for his composing and arranging. Another recording of his, Pearls on Velvet, features a piano played in the romantic style, which for much of this chart sounds quite different from Miller's typical music. Near the end of 1944, Miller went from being an American celebrity to being an American legend. See, his mysterious disappearance has made his death a subject of debate even beyond the turn of the century. On December 15, 1944, Miller boarded a small flight from Bedfordshire, England to Paris, France, where he was planning to perform for the Allied troops. His band showed up the next day and had to perform without him because his plane never landed in France. The orchestra kept performing without him for the next six months, traveling the Allied portions of Europe to bolster the troops as Miller had intended. Theories for the cause of Glenn Miller's death include assassination for his involvement in counter-propaganda campaigns against the Axis powers, perhaps friendly fire from an RAF plane, or simply the icing over of the plane's engines. After the war, Miller's wife Helen helped establish a type of ghost band with vocalist Tex Beneke leading the Glenn Miller Orchestra. And then in 1954, Jimmy Stewart played the title role in a film called The Glenn Miller Story. Thomas Grant! I'd like to redeem my... I know, the trombone. (laughs) I always keep a hanging ear in the window, so when you walk by, you can see she is still there. Keep my eyes on her, all Say, Mr. Miller... Where'd you got the money this time? Working at a gas station. Oh, and now you've got another band job, eh? Yep, I'm with Minton up the Sunset Hotel. That Metrocrats, that uh, string of pearls down there, how much you say that was? Now, isn't it wonderful to be young? He just got his trombone out of Huck, and right away he wants to buy a $100 necklace. $100, huh? Yeah, sort of like to give her something nice. Haven't seen her for a couple of years. We went around together when we were in college, University of Colorado. $100. That's a lot of money in it. 
This film brought even more prominence to Miller's legacy and more demand for an established orchestra to carry on that legacy. The orchestra has been performing nearly every week of the year ever since. Let's hear another classic hit from Glenn Miller's orchestra. This is String of Pearls. just heard the 1942 recording of String of Pearls from Glenn Miller and his orchestra. Glenn Miller's name is not only the most recognizable from the big band style, his name is practically synonymous with dance band music today. 
Britannica.com says that Miller is considered to be the premier musical symbol of the World War II generation. The music he produced came just at the right time, bringing joy in a time of world chaos and darkness. As we stated at the beginning, he recorded 23 number one hits during his very short music career, more than Elvis Presley, more than the Beatles. His classic composition, Moonlight Serenade, was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1991. In 2003, he was posthumously awarded the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Considering he only had about five years of fame, Glenn Miller certainly left an amazing mark on music. I hope this episode has put you in the mood for our Thursday, May 10th performance at Armstrong Auditorium featuring the world-famous Glenn Miller Orchestra. Let's go ahead and hear that signature tune from Glenn Miller and his orchestra. This is In the Mood.
are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, we have explored the legendary leader of America's swing era, Glenn Miller, in the lead-up to the Glenn Miller Orchestra's performance at Armstrong Auditorium Thursday, May 10th. More information about this and all our Armstrong Auditorium events can be found at armstrongauditorium.org. You can follow Armstrong Auditorium on social media, and you can follow this show on Twitter and Facebook at the handle Music for Life PCG. We just heard the signature tune from the Glenn Miller Orchestra, In the Mood. Special thanks today to Alexa Turgeon for her research and for largely writing today's episode. On our next episode, we will have an interview with the current leader of the Glenn Miller Orchestra, Nick Hilscher. I hope you will join me then. Let's hear one more example of a classic Glenn Miller hit and one featured prominently in that 1954 Jimmy Stewart film about Glenn Miller. This is Little Brown Jug. I hope you enjoy and I hope to see you soon at Armstrong.
You have been listening to Music for Life, a production of KPCG 101.3 on the FM dial in Edmond, Oklahoma. From the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus, I'm Ryan Malone. Thanks for joining me.